Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Today on CityCast DC, a potential DC referendum called Initiative 83 could pave the way for ranked choice voting in DC. And at first blush, that sounds like a great idea since this is a city where like a dozen or more candidates are apt to divide up the vote in a city council race. So who could be against it? Uh, well, it turns out quite a lot of people. Alex Coma from City Paper is here to walk us through Initiative 83 and its antagonists. Today is Thursday, November 30th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. Oh, and before we get to Alex, CityCast has launched a membership campaign, and I really, really, really want you to join. Um, my story, on Halloween, I was handing out candy. And there was this little kid, and maybe I used like my super podcasty voice when I asked her what her costume was, because her mom turns to me and she says, are you on CityCast? Which like obviously made my day, but it also reminded me about the role this podcast plays in our community. I've been doing this for about a year and a half, and it is a ton of fun to talk about my hometown in a whole new way. But the main treat is that we, as a team, are able to connect folks with our city, whether we're talking about Capital N news, like today, or about where to go trick-or-treating, like we did before Halloween. But while I get to yak away on the podcast, there is an entire team of people who actually put in the work to make CityCast happen. And ugh, that costs money. When you join up, you help us sustain the show and the community it creates. You also get some perks like ad-free listening and VIP access to future events. So will you join up? You can go to membership.citycast.fm right now and become a founding member. Thank you. Hey, Alex, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure. So what is I-83 for the uninitiated? Yeah, so the initiative uh, 83 that may or may not be um, on DC ballots uh, about a year from now, uh, the basic idea is to sort of radically restructure um, local DC elections. The biggest change would be adding ranked choice voting um, for all of these local elections for DC council and mayor, things like that, with the idea of that being that rather than simply picking one candidate, um, you would get a chance to rank your preferences and they would use this sorting system to determine, you know, who ends up being the winner, trying to reduce the instances where people are winning with a mere plurality of votes, um, trying to make it a more fair way um, of doing elections. But that is, of course, only one part of it. There is also an element of opening up D.C.'s currently closed primaries. D.C. is kind of unique in that way where you have to be registered for, say, the Democratic Party to vote in their primary. And, uh, you know, they want to, uh, the backers of the initiative want to make this so that anyone who's registered as an independent, which represents 
convince a, a decent portion of DC's electorate to be able to vote in these primaries um, as well. So they would be big changes to local elections. There's no doubt. Can you quickly, for folks who don't quite get it, explain how ranked choice voting works? Yeah, the the basic idea is that, you know, in a big multi-candidate field, you want to prevent instances where, say, the two candidates who are the most well-known just are able to scoop up 20, uh, maybe 19 percent of the vote and, and scrape by. So the idea is that you'll get your ballot, you'll get the chance to say, you know, rank your preferences in order. And so then what happens is it's kind of a complex tallying process where the voter uh, officials have to go through and they have to look and see, okay, these candidates didn't get enough you know, highly ranked votes, first and second place votes, say, so they get eliminated. And then we look at who their voters allocated as their second choice. And then that sort of accrues to the benefit of those candidates. And this goes on and on, eliminating candidates sort of one by one, until you get to the candidates who are not only receiving the most first place votes, but also the most second and third place votes. The idea being that you know, maybe you can't run such a, say, negative campaign if you're hoping to get not just someone's first vote, but also, you know, say if they support one of your opponents, but you say, hey, rank me second, because you may not agree with me fully, but you agree with me on a lot of this stuff. It's been tried other places with mixed results, I think it's fair to say. So in a lot of places where it's been tried, it's been seen as kind of an antidote to radicalism, particularly on the far right, that you have these situations where a number of centrist candidates will kind of cancel each other out and some extreme MAGA type will get in with 30% of the vote or something. And so the people pushing for it elsewhere have often been kind of establishment type, centrist types who favor bipartisanship and so on. In DC, where we don't have you know a MAGA element, what's the problem they're trying to fix here? Who's pushing for it? Yeah, you know, it it is definitely a different coalition um, that you might expect, Um, definitely coming from more of the the leftmost progressive edge of the D.C. Democratic Party. Basically, the way they see it is that um, an at-large council race, I think the last one had like 20 candidates, you know, these huge races where it tends to be the same few politicians, in this case, often moderate Democrats, winning over and over again. For instance, Anita Bonds last time around, someone who's been around DC politics for forever, regardless of what you think about their performance in office, end up winning you know, over and over again just because people know who they are. They recognize the name. And so you know, the way that progressives look at it is that makes it an uphill battle for anyone looking to challenge an entrenched politician because they're really, you know, essentially their only option at this point is to hope that they end up in a 1v1 race and that they can really try and make it a stark contrast. Because if you have other candidates drawing votes away from a challenger, it gets that much harder to unseat someone who's been in office for a long time. And so, you know, the opposite side of this tends to be the more institutionalist elements that specifically the DC Democratic Party and lots of more moderate, you know, politicians who see this as, I think, not unreasonably, a threat to the way that they've always gotten to do things. You know, they're used to campaigning a, a certain way, and and this would change that. And change is scary when you're the ones who have, have been holding the, the reins here. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return. 
which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. So as you mentioned, we've got this history of these weird races, particularly for the at-large council seats, but sometimes even in the wards, where you'll get like 20 candidates running for a seat and the winner will sneak by with like 22% of the vote. And that's not even 22% of the whole city's vote. It's 22% of the members of the Democratic Party, which is the biggest party, but doesn't represent the entire city. Are there any particularly crazy election results along those lines that you can remember? Well, I think maybe the best one to point to is the 2020 at-large race. You know, that was the one where you ultimately saw Christina Henderson emerge out of a very crowded field. I mean, that was done during the height of the pandemic, so there's all kinds of qualifiers with that one. But I think that she ended up emerging from, I believe it was a 20-candidate field, and she must have ended up with a vote that was, I believe, in the teens. Like, so much so that coming out of that race, she said, we can't run elections like this anymore. And she introduced ranked choice voting legislation to say, I won, but even I can admit this is crazy. I mean, and, and that was just a, a true circus of a race where you saw everyone and their mother getting in and, and people didn't know who was going to walk away with the win. I think Christina Henderson, you know, now is in a much stronger position as she's up for reelection again. But, but that was a wild one. And what you, you had was this person winning the Democratic primary with a, with a vote in the teens. But then by virtue of being the Democratic Party's nominee in a city that is very heavily Democratic, she was able to win quite handily in the general election where Republicans don't tend to run strong and where independent, you know, where there's two seats reserved for people who aren't Democrats, but the other seats, Democrats win by default. Well, and, and Christina won one of those seats as an independent. She wasn't a Democrat, I but see. you are absolutely right that that dynamic plays out all the time. I mean, just look, I mentioned Anita Bonds already, but just look last year. You know, she manages to win in a crowded field. You know, she had two competitors who were giving her strong challenges in Lisa Gore and Nate Fleming. But the problem was that if you didn't like Anita Bonds, you had essentially two options to pick. A lot of people said, one should drop out and endorse the other, you know, present more of a united front. And they felt like that was unfair to them. You know, they felt they were coming from different backgrounds. And so it led to a situation where you go, why should I be the one to drop out? Why doesn't the other person? And what that produces is Anita winning with 30 some percent of the vote. And then, as you say, waltzing to win in the general election because a Democrat is virtually guaranteed um, to win in, in that large race in D.C. So these are some fairly powerful enemies of this initiative. Are they not mollified by the open primaries? Because presumably that would mean that a lot of the folks who move here and register as independents, either because they are more conservative or because they you know, work in government and some sort of public life where they don't really want to be publicly registered as a, in a party and are, I suspect, more moderate, wouldn't they be mollified by the fact that these people could be at least brought into the primary process? <laughs> Quite the opposite. I mean, they hate that part of it, maybe even more than the ranked choice uh, voting element of it. I mean, the way they've described it in the lawsuit that they filed um, to try and 
keep this initiative from going anywhere is that they see it as an attack on their ability to make decisions about their own nominating process. And I think you're definitely right. A lot of people do move to D.C. and register as independents because, you know, who may be more conservative because they look at the local Republican Party and they say, yeah, they're not going anywhere. So I might as well at least be an independent. But increasingly, there's been a lot of people who, because of the structure of DCs at large races in particular, have registered as independents because they tend to see themselves as a little more left than the traditional Democratic Party. I mean, that's true. That's true of candidates. But is it true of large numbers of voters? I'm not sure. I, I don't know that that is necessarily the case for everyone. I think a lot of people who feel that way would probably just register as Democrats and try and change the party. But I think they feel that pressure coming from both sides. They say, why should I want someone who's more conservative or more liberal um, than, you know, what they see as the mainstream Democratic voter deciding Democratic nominees. They view that as, hey, this is our business as Democrats. Like, why, why do we need other people doing this? Well, what's the answer to that? I mean, if, if you have a political party, right, it, isn't it fair to say, like, yeah, the people who just decide our nominees should be members of our party, whether our party is the Democrats or the Republicans or the communists? I understand their argument. And there are some people even who support ranked choice voting who are a little more uneasy about this particular part of it. You know, the answer that the initiative's backers, I think, would tell you is essentially like this is disenfranchising this wide swath of the electorate simply because, you know, maybe they're not familiar with these rules when they register as independents. So why should they be locked out of this process? Um, and why should we have to go through the process of re-registering them? Why shouldn't we, as a you know Democratic Party, be welcoming people in and inviting them in? Um, and that the fears of mischief-making, Republican in disguise, or, or something like that, are unfounded as to you know so to be such rare occurrences as to not really have an effect on the process. But I, I think that there are real arguments against it, and it is something that has divided the movement on this smushing ranked choice and these opening up of the primaries together. So are these enemies of Initiative 83 going to manage to make it die before it even gets off the ground? Well, they're certainly going to try. Um, As I alluded to, the Democratic Party um, and its chair, Charles Wilson, have filed suit against it. They are essentially, you know, making many of these arguments, claiming that ranked choice voting is too confusing and and may disenfranchise um, lower literacy voters. Those arguments are perhaps maybe not as important as the more procedural ones. You know, they're trying to claim that this would constitute something that's inappropriate for a ballot of initiative. This is structured kind of unusually because ballot initiatives can't force the government to spend money. And elections officials are, are pretty clear to make these big changes. They would have to spend money on voter education and redoing the ballots and stuff like that. So the initiative is structured kind of uniquely to say, if this passes, the council can decide if it wants to budget money for this purpose. And they're basically saying this is an illegal way to go about it. The Board of Elections has said that's okay, but they're going to take this to court and try and get a judge to stop it before it gets much further. It should be said, however, that DC is fighting this in court. They claim that the opponents have screwed up some filing uh, deadlines and that their suit should get tossed before it even makes it very far. They'll hash all this out in in court in a couple of weeks. So if it gets uh, past the judge and in front of the voters, how do you imagine it'll go down? Is this going to win? 
Number one, if it gets passed a judge, that is by no means a guarantee it goes to voters. Then they have to go about the process of gathering signatures. And you've covered enough ballot initiatives to know that that is uh, no mean feat because you need to collect a certain percentage of signatures from every ward to show that you're representing voters. Then if, say, the D.C. Democratic Party or other interested parties want to challenge those signatures, they have a process to do that. They can drag this thing out, as we saw happen with Initiative 77 and then Initiative 82. You know, there are a lot of avenues before this ever makes it to voters. And then I think it's a a, a very real question, you know, whether this can pass. It's a lengthy initiative. It makes sense to me, but I've been covering this stuff. I don't know if the you know average voter is going to see it and, and is going to be familiar with ranked choice voting and closed primaries. So I think it's a very open question, especially when you consider that if it does make it on the ballot, I have to imagine a lot of established Democrats are going to fight pretty hard against this. Like it would not surprise me at all to see the mayor, the council chairman, a variety of, of institutional figures tell their supporters that they think this is a bad idea. So in that the world of ranked choice voting, I think the greatest triumph of the ranked choice uh, voting advocates is getting Sarah Palin unelected in Alaska. She probably would have won if it had been a not ranked choice. What about in D.C.? This is just putting on your prognostication hat. How do you think it would affect the next election? Yeah, I mean, if it passes, it would go into effect in time for the 2026 elections, um, which would mean that that's a mayoral race on the ballot, um, as well as, I believe, the chairman's race, the at-large races. I mean, this would be a big deal if it passes. You know, it is difficult to say yet because we haven't seen it in action. But I think it's not unreasonable to assume that it would benefit progressive candidates. I think that it is a very real case that, you know, even though the people who are the most tuned into local politics see very stark divisions among the left and the moderates and and such like that, I think your average voter tends to view people a lot more charitably and favorably. You know, maybe they agree, you know, with a lot of the policy positions of someone who they haven't met before, who may be more progressive, but they just, you know, they don't want to stray from voting for Phil Mendelssohn every four years the way that they always do. Could that benefit challengers to get some, you know, second place votes, third place votes, and that starts making a difference from a lot of people who will not rank these establishment Democrats, these establishment politicians at all because they're upset with their leadership? I I think it could, um, but I think it's going to make the biggest difference in those huge, wide open at large races where you already have a tremendous amount of incentive to run because of the public financing program. Like a lot of people say, you know, it, it really doesn't take all that much effort to do it. Now, if you know that you're running in a ranked choice race where you're not hopelessly going to lose to whatever incumbents at the top of the ballot, I mean, you could really see some large, confusing races and we'll have to see who that ends up benefiting. Alex, thanks, man, for being here. It is so fun, as always. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye.